we're continuing our series this morning, uh, The Prosperous Soul, and we're going to continue talking about rest. I was sharing with someone before service, it's always amazing to me, wherever it seems to be that I'm going in the Word and, and preaching, uh, I find that the enemy, Satan, will oppose me kind of in that area. And so, you know, I start preaching about rest and about Sabbath, and I become very aware of the fact that I'm not, I'm, I'm not getting the rest that I need. And so I'm in these messages, uh, I'm challenged myself. In fact, this is one of those sermons as a pastor where uh, I, I feel almost underqualified. You need to know this, that, that pastors, when, when we preach, it's not that we've gotten it figured out and that we're, we're doing it perfectly. It's just that this is what God's teaching us and, and putting on our hearts. So even as I share about Sabbath today, as we talk about rest, know that for myself and for Megan and in our home, this is an ongoing process. And in fact, I would say it's a battle. It's a, it's a battle to instill rest in the midst of a culture that is go, 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 go. Especially now that football season has started, we've got a kid playing football, we've got a kid playing tennis, uh, it's... It's busy in our household, uh, but we have to we have to press into that rest. So that's just a little, little by way of introduction, walking this journey with you and being challenged in the same way. We've been talking about the soul and the fact that the soul is designed to prosper. God has designed your soul to prosper. John 10.10 10 says that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. In fact, those are the only things he knows how to do. But Jesus has come to give us life and life abundantly or life to the fullest or here at this church, we like to say that God has designed you to thrive. He's made you to thrive. And so your soul was created to prosper, your soul being really the most important part of you. And the reason for that is it's your soul that communes with God. It's your soul that, that has fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's that inner, inner part of who you are, yourself, your, your life center, your being that is found in, in, in Christ, being fashioned by Him. It's the, the part of you that connects your inner life to your outer life, right? You know that you have an inner life. You have a thought life. You have emotions that stay hidden, things that you pr process internally. And then, of course, there's everything that happens in the world around you. Well, your soul is the, the thing in, in you, the part of you, the component of you that connects those two, the inner and the outer. It's the part of you that essentially runs your life. It connects your mind, your emotions, your will, and your body and integrates them into a functional whole. I've read this definition before and I even shared last week about my computer dying and it's still in the shop. So Megan and I are sharing a computer, which is a lot of fun. Um... We're having to coordinate our efforts. Uh, John Ortberg says this, the soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a sing single whole life. It is something like a program that runs a computer. You usually don't notice it unless it messes up. Now, the better thing is to take care of your soul so, you don't, so that it doesn't mess up. And there's steps that you can take. And so we've been talking about that over the last number of weeks. By the way, you can... Listen to those sermons online uh, through the podcast or through our app, which you can download through the Google Play Store or through the App Store. Um, give a little quick point of connect. We don't, we don't have a church bulletin anymore. We've gone digital. And so if you've not had a chance to download the app, you can search in the App Store, search church app by Tithely, 
and uh, you can download that, and then it'll ask you to find Thrive Church. By the way, the sermon notes for this morning are, are in there as well, along with the verses, uh, and then you can also check out the past messages that we've done in this series. Well, last week we talked about rest and how Jesus tells us that we need to come alongside of him and take on his yoke, that we need to, to, to partner with him. And the fact is, is that we can rest even in the midst of work, that rest doesn't happen apart from work, but when we're partnered with Jesus, that we can find rest even in the midst of doing stuff. Going throughout our days, and I'm not just talking about ministry, I'm talking about everything we do. I'm talking about the stack of paperwork on your desk. I'm talking about the, the pile of laundry that can just seem like it's never ending. Is the laundry in your house never ending, right? It's like Mount Everest just keeps, just keeps growing, right? And you can get to a point where you're like, oh, it's just overwhelming. I just can't seem to get ahead. And then Jesus says, if you'll partner with me, Change your perspective. Take on my yoke. I will walk with you and I will give you rest even in what seems to be the mundane, tedious parts of our lives. He's just waiting for that invitation. In fact, that verse that we read last week, he says, come to me. He doesn't force it on us, but there's an invitation. But this week, we're going to talk about Sabbath. Sabbath. In fact, my message this morning, the subtitle is The Gift of of Sabbath, because that's what it is. It's a gift. See, an unrested soul is an unhealthy soul. If you're not resting, I guarantee you're not healthy. There's no way to ignore rest in your life and live a healthy life. It is, it is completely impossible. Your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit needs rest. And God makes a big deal about rest in the Word of God. It's just interesting to me that we tend not to focus on those passages or recall them. And I'm going to touch on a pretty big one this morning, a, a, a huge instruction from the Lord in regards to Sabbath rest that in the modern church is, is actually the least preached about instruction in Scripture. This is what studies are finding, that pastors preach less about Sabbath than anything else, and part of the reason is pastors are really bad at Sabbath, right? So I don't, I don't tend not to preach on things that I'm not doing really well in, and that was my caveat earlier. Hey, I haven't got it all figured out, but let's just go to the Word of God and let's see what God has to say, and we'll just learn together, amen? See... Here's what we're finding in science, and, and scientists and researchers are, are always discovering new things about the mind, which I love, because we always seem to come to this point of history where we're like, hey, we just got it all figured out, right? We invented the electron microscope, and now we can like, look at these minute particles, and we got to this point where everyone's like, we found the smallest subatomic particle you can find. Then someone invented a better mic uh, microscope. I almost said microphone. They found a better microscope. <laughs> They've done that too, though. Um, and then they discovered that, <laughs> yeah, it's up in front. They discovered that, that in the middle of the atom and in the nucleus, there was even, like it looks like, the way that they've diagrammed it, it looks like a little spring that vibrates right in the middle, and they've been able to go deeper. And as they press deeper, there's these new discoveries. I mean, and so in the area of, of sleep specifically, scientists are discovering the impact of sleep or lack of sleep, sleep deprivation, on the human body. 
Here, here's a couple of things. By the way, as I share these, I'm not, just, I'm not talking about sleep disorders, and I'm not talking about um, just long-term sleep deprivation. But, but if you're just living a lifestyle where you're not getting enough sleep, and the CDC says that in the state of California, over 35% of adults do not get enough sleep. Over 35% of our population is sleep deprived. So keep that in mind as we go through a couple of these points. Here's, here's what they've discovered uh, about sleep depri deprivation. It leads to decreased memory. Decreased memory. That you don't remember stuff if you don't get enough sleep. And the reason for that is as throughout your day, as your brain cell, which your, your brain is constantly generating new brain cells that have the capaci capacity to intake information. Right? Now, think about this for college students as well, especially, right? Those all-nighters don't actually help. They actually hurt. When you're sleep deprived, that information comes in, but it's while you're sleeping that your brain and those cells kind of latch in, and that's just a very untechnical term, right? The, the neuroscientists would be like, that's not right. Um, they, they, they find their home in your brain, and they kind of latch on. But if you don't have enough sleep, those cells don't have the opportunity, and we become forgetful. We don't remember things like we're supposed to. Decreased creativity. If you don't sleep enough, you will be less creative. And it's one of the reasons that we're most creative in the morning when we're awake. And it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with coffee, right? It's not about the caffeine. It's about the rest. It's about the sleep. You, you have decreased creativity if you don't sleep enough. Decreased cognition and motor function. The ability to perceive the world around you, that's cognition. I can, I can tell what's going on and then respond appropriately. You're finding that sleep-deprived driving is as bad as drunk driving. That your motor skills, your body doesn't respond in the same way and it physically can't because your brain starts shutting down. You can't respond or you can't multitask, right? And you, you start forgetting things really easily. Impaired judgment, you don't make good decisions when you're tired. You don't. Couples. The worst time to have that conversation <laughs> is 9.30 at night. You know, they found out that um, parole hearing boards, that if your parole hearing, if you're in jail, incarcerated, and you had a parole hearing, if your parole was after, your hearing was after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you were 75% less likely to get approved for parole, right? They also say you don't want a car that was built later in the day. <laughs> because these things matter. They matter, and we, we lose, our, our, our judgment is impaired. We also just also have lower impulse control. Which is why at night when you're watching TV and you should have gone to bed an hour ago, that bowl of ice cream doesn't, it's a little harder to say no because you're, you're, imp you're impaired in your uh, impulse control. You're at a higher risk for depression. And this is a major thing that the CDC is facing is that one of the leading causes of de depression in the United States of America is the fact that we just don't sleep. And I'm not talking about, I mean, Sabbath is not about sleeping it's a part of it, but it's not the whole enchilada, as they say. There's a whole lot more. But this is just one aspect, one little snapshot. Higher risk for depression. 
decreased organ function, that your, your vital organs actually slow down and don't function at their full capacity if you're not sleeping. And then there's an emotional volatility that's introduced when you're sleep deprived, especially in the, in the realm of anger, right? You, don't, you just kind of lose it a lot easier when you're tired. And so sleep is so critical. And it's something that's so interesting to me is that when our kids are little, right, we're putting them to bed early, making sure they get the sleep that they need. But as we get older, I'm good. I don't need as much sleep. And, and what they're finding is, as adults, we need just as much sleep, right? How many hours? Eight hours. And that's the minimum. That's the baseline. For some of us, we need more. You need more rest. And so sleep is important. Like I said, that's just one aspect. This is just sleep. See, we, we have to instill a rhythm of rest in our lives because as a society, as a culture, we're not good at it. And as a church, followers of Jesus Christ, we don't do rest well. And as we'll see in a moment, rest is not optional in the Word of God. It's not optional in the kingdom of God. We have to learn to rest. It's a critical issue for us as followers of Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week, and I'll say it again, you will more than likely be challenged by some of the things I say today. Not that you don't agree with them, but they will push against some of the assumptions and some of the things that we've just kind of taken on as a culture and said, oh no, that's acceptable and even praiseworthy. That the person who works 70-hour weeks is somehow in our culture more valuable than the person who actually guards their time and doesn't work more than 40 hours a week. That person is more productive. And, and the, the reality is they probably aren't more productive. They're just a lot busier, probably a lot more frustrated, a lot more uh, just on edge. And so we've come to praise things in the culture and in the world. And the Bible tells us, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's a pattern of the world. Rest is the pattern of Scripture. And so it'll ch challenge and confront some assumptions. And it's doing that in my own life. As we talk about Sabbath today, you'll probably get a little squirmy in your seat. Like, oh, I just don't know. I don't know how that's going to fit. I don't see. And we'll try and process it through a through a practical lens, maybe even thinking like this, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to rest. And could I just tell you this morning, you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to, not because I say it. And so open your hearts to receive from the Lord. Allow Him to challenge you. Allow Him to un undo and, and remove some of those assumptions. So turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 20. Ephesians chapter 20. We're going to read verse 8 through 11. But this is a passage and a portion of Scripture that's familiar to us because it's the portion of Scripture that uh, as Christians we've been saying we can't take this out of our schools and out of our courthouses. It's the Ten Commandments. It's these commands that God gives to the children of Israel as they're coming out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And he, along with all of the other laws in Leviticus, he gives them these. It's called the Decalogue. It's, it's the Ten Commandments that are after love the Lord your God and love people. These are the things that are most important to the children of Israel. 
So starting in verse 8, the fourth commandment says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Everyone say holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You know, God wants you to work, right? So can we just dispel any myth or any conception that God just wants you to just cruise and take it easy? No, no, we have work to do. Debbie even mentioned it today and tying it to our, our giving. We give because our giving allows the work to, to go forward. There are people that need to be reached. There's stuff that needs to be done. There's children that need to be raised, right? There, God has designed you with a capacity to work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall, do no, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He starts in verse 8 with the word remember. Remember. You know, I, I think for us, we would say that the Ten Commandments are as important today as they were then. Would you agree with that? Yet we kind of gloss over and skip the Sabbath, don't we? I mean, if I were to tell you, do not kill, you'd be like, amen. <laughs> right? Don't covet. Preach it. Right? Do not commit adultery. Yes, I'm in agreement with that. The first three commandments, no other gods before me, no graven images, and don't take the Lord's name in vain. As, a, as, a, as followers of Jesus, we'd be wholesale on board with that. And then we get to the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath. What? Oh, no. That's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. That's the law that doesn't apply to me. And then we pick it up at, right at the fifth commandment. We're like, no, that's good. Why, why, why would we just eliminate it like it doesn't exist? Like it's not there. It is as important today as it was then. See, God gives the commandments to the Israelites. They're coming out of slavery in Egypt. And they're a broken and lost people. They've spent hundreds of years in captivity with cruel taskmasters just telling them what to do every moment of every day. And there was no rest. That was not a thing for them. The Egyptians drove them and drove them and drove them. And so that's all they knew. And so God gives them the commandments in a loving gesture to say, hey, I'm going to help set up guardrails for your life because you don't know how. And because all you've known is slavery, if you were left to your own devices, you would just default to slavery, even though you're free. Paul deals with this in the book of Galatians as well. It's an ongoing issue for us as believers. And so they've had these, these taskmasters who have driven them, and not only that, they've set a bad example of how to live your life. The Egyptians were not a good example on how to do life. And so he has to change it. He has to refashion it. He has to work, rework it. Because his goal is to break them free from the mindset of slavery and usher them into a place of freedom in their lives. And it's the same for us. 
The Bible says that we're born into sin and that we are slaves to sin, that we are slaves to the pattern of this world. And in the same way that the Israelites had to break free from slavery, we have to break free from slavery. We have to break free from the slavery that says you have to do in order to be valued. You have to perform, and the more you do, the more valuable you are. That is not found in the Word of God. Your value is derived from the fact that you are made in the image of God and that you have been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the source of your value, not what you bring to the table. And we have to break free from this, the, the slavery. We are enslaved in our thinking to, to that idea that I have to perform in order to be loved. And so what ends up happening for us is in the same way as the Israelites, there's no rest, only doing stuff. And so God says to them, remember. Remember. Why? Why would you tell someone to remember? Because you're going to forget. Every parent in the room knows what we're talking about. Remember to take out the trash. And it doesn't happen. Why? Listen to this. We don't remember those things we don't value. Or to put it another way, we forget the things that we don't value. If I don't value Sabbath, I will not remember the Sabbath. And so God makes a point to say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy unto the Lord. You realize this, that God spends more time unpacking the commandment of Sabbath than any of the other commandments. He gives, he gives more words, more instruction to the Sabbath because he knows that we will forget. And then he gives some details. It's not just you. Your family, everyone in your household, your servants, even the person who's visiting with you, and your animals. You know why? Because we love loopholes. Come on. We love loopholes. I figured out a way around that passage of Scripture. And God's not going, oh, wow, you're so clever. We're going to look for the way to just kind of circumvent it and say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. No, we are forgetful, and we have relegated Sabbath to some kind of antiquated, outdated, religious activity that doesn't apply in the modern era, but the reality is it does, and here's why. God created us. He fashioned us. He made us. Every, every cell in our body, the way we function, the way every system in our, in our bodies function, and the way he's created our soul, that has not changed since Adam and Eve. And his capacity, or our capacity to rest and our need for rest has not changed since Adam and Eve. And so we need to pay attention. On top of that, Genesis 2.2 says this, the seventh day God had finished the work he had done doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. It's a stretch, but it's not completely out of mind to say that if I decide in my life I don't need to rest, what I'm saying is I'm better than God. It's a point of pride. That's a dangerous place to live your life. You need rest. God worked, but God also rested. I'm going to invite Jacques actually up to illustrate this a little bit for us. Last week I used this, the, the worship team 
uh, and talked about rhythm and how we know when there's a good rhythm happening because, right, your foot starts kind of beating, you're tapping and, right, you're clapping. Um, but I was talking about the fact that our, our rhythm, we don't do rhythm well in our lifestyle. God had a rhythm of work and rest, and he intended for us to have that rhythm. And so I asked Jacques to, to play musically an example of what a bad rhythm would be in our cycle of, in our cycle of work and rest. You ready? All right, listen to this. And then we pick it up again. You know what's amazing is when we were talking about this, we're sitting at his dining room table, and I actually started feeling the stress of that. My body started responding. Does that feel like your life? You're weak? Oh, I'm going to rest. Oh, I'm going to go, go, go. Contrast it to this. Same exact chords. Same exact chords. God's designed you to be in a rhythm of work and rest. And you notice that even as he was playing that melody, there were little pauses. In music, we call that a, a rest. Right? It's a part of music. That rest is built into the rhythm so that when you get to the end of the piece and, and, and the music fades out, it feels natural. Versus a rhythm in our lives where we're going, 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 and then, and then we feel like we have to stop or even the choice is made for us where our bodies just go, you're done. You're done. Right? I hear stories of people who are so tired, they're driving home from work and falling asleep behind the wheel like it's a normal thing. I'm like, it's dangerous, and you're going to hurt yourself and hurt someone else. It's not okay. God has designed us with a capacity for, to work and be in a, work, a rhythm of work and rest. I'm going to give us a couple of points in regards to Sabbath and Sabbath keeping. Please know this. One sermon on Sabbath is not sufficient. There's a, a book called Subversive, Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swoboda. Um, great book. If you want to study more and read more about this, please grab that. Or there's other books about Sabbath. It's kind of a resurgence within the, the area of Christian education and study. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis with pastors. We're finding out that so many pastors are just burning out because they don't rest. And, and quite often, if a pastor's burning out, guess what's happening to their congregation? the same thing. And so there's just this, and I believe it's Holy Spirit led, that we would come back to a place of focusing on Sabbath rest and reintroducing this important aspect of our spiritual lives and vitality. But I also want to say this, that we have to avoid legalism. We have to avoid legalism. What's legalism? 
Legalism is simply this, rules for the sake of rules. Rules that I make up for you that aren't even in the Bible. Right? Come on, it happens all the time. The Pharisees did it. In Mark 2, 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the, the grain fields, and as his disciples were walking along, they began to pick some grain, heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never heard or read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abiathar, the high priest? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And I love that Jesus uses the word of God to oppose them. And then he said to them, and this is so key for us, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so our propensity, our, 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 our inclination would be this, is that we start reading through all the passages of Sabbath and we start pointing out to other people how they need to be in Sabbath and observing the Sabbath. It was interesting to be in Israel on the Sabbath because you got a whole lot of people that have found a whole lot of loopholes, right? You get on an elevator in the hotel, there's the Sabbath elevator, and then the heathen or the, the, the Gentile elevator where we could actually push the buttons. But pushing the button on an elevator is considered work. So instead, they just get on an elevator and it just stops at every floor. Right? I think we miss something of the heart of God in, the, in that. However, however, as a people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, his precious people, it's amazing to me that when you hear about so many of the leading inventions in, our nation, in, our, in the world around us, rather, how much has come out of Israel. And I wonder if part of it has to do with the fact that even though they observe the Sabbath and miss some of the relationship that's there, they're still honoring the Lord and keeping the Sabbath. And there is a rhythm of work and rest that exists in the nation of Israel that I believe leads to some of the creativity and productivity that that nation sees. And so, right, God, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. And so even something sown just through a, a, a legalism or just that we do this by rote, God, there's still an element of honor there for the Lord. How much better if we come with the right heart before the Lord and say, God, I want to honor you which is what he says in Exodus. Honor the Lord by keeping the Sabbath holy. And so we have to avoid going to a place of legalism. Also understand this, in the Jewish culture, Sabbath starts on Friday night at sunset and goes till Saturday at sunset. And there's a lot of restrictions and a lot of things that they don't do during that time. A couple of things for us. First of all, we're... we're we're not Jewish. At least, I'm not Jewish. Most of us are not Jewish. At, at least, and, and not observant in that way. And so it's not that we're going to start saying as a church, I'm not telling you, hey, next week, Friday at sunset, you better stop working. That's not what I'm saying. I believe what God is saying is there's a principle of work and rest here and that you need to find how that works in your home and in your life. Also, the idea of 24 hours right out of the gate could just be a little overwhelming. So start somewhere. Pick a day. 
Pick a day with your family. Pick a day in your home where you say, hey, maybe Saturday mornings. We're setting Saturday mornings. We're going to start there. And we're going to set that aside as a Sabbath, as a time for rest. Not a time to get the projects done around the house or catch up on the to-do list. But a time to rest. I believe that as we step out in obedience in this area, that God will honor that. And I believe that if we as a congregation will move in this direction, that we will hear the testimonies of God's faithfulness in this place. And so here's a couple of things that we can do. First of all, and I'll have three points in a second, but a couple of easy things like pick a day, set it aside, and then guard it. You know, we treat our calendars as something to be filled, not to be guarded, right? I look at the empty space on my calendar and go, what am I going to do in that empty time? Rather than saying, what a blessing God has given me this time, how can I guard it and protect it? Sabbath is about becoming aware of the fact that we live without margin. We live flat out lives. And finding those places, even in the midst of our week and in the midst of our day, where we can stop for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and just be silent, be quiet, be with the Lord. Take a breath, go for a walk, do something life-giving. So, first thing is this. In the gift of Sabbath, here's what I would encourage. Sabbath, one of the key parts of Sabbath is this. It's time with God. It's time with God. It's one of the, 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 the defining parts of how Sabbath happens, that worship happens on the Sabbath. Now, historically, as a nation, if you were to ask people, what's your Sabbath? They would say Sunday, right? And for a lot of people, Sunday is their Sabbath. But for some people, Sunday is just a, a, a full day, a busy day. Sunday is not my Sabbath. It's just not. And so Megan and I take Monday. It's the best day for us to rest. And it involves a lot of going to the beach. <laughs> because it's something we both love to do. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's truly not a Sabbath if we don't focus on time with God. It's not a Sabbath if God's not a part of it. Then it's just a day off. That's something different. Time with God. Being with God. Being refreshed in His presence. What I talked about earlier. Hosanna. Recognizing that He's in control that he is overall, that he wants to speak. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What is he saying? Listen, whether you choose to be a part of it or not, I'm going to be exalted. But there's an invitation for you to jump in and participate in the exalting. But it starts with us slowing down and stopping and being still. Because I can't hear God when I'm busy doing other stuff. I have to make space in my life to hear the voice of the Lord. And Sabbath, and it's a daily discipline, by the way. But there's something sweet about the Sabbath. You take that time to rest and be in His presence. Be still and know that I am God. See, it's about centering our lives on Him. It reminds us of His goodness, of His promises, of His love. It reminds us that he is God and we are not. And when we choose to ignore Sabbath, what we're essentially saying is I'm okay with being a slave. 
I'm okay with being a slave to the demands in my life. When we choose to Sabbath, what we're declaring to God is, God, you're in control, and I can let go for, for a time, and, and everything's not going to fall apart. Because you're bigger than this. You're bigger than this. In Psalm 57, I was reading in my devotions this week, the psalm where David is being chased by King Saul and by his army, and Saul wants to kill him. I, I, don't, I can't even relate to what it's like being chased by an army that wants to kill you. Not only that, the army of a king that you have fought with and for, fought for, whose, whose son is your best friend in the whole world, You've served in his palace, and now he hates you and wants to kill you. And David is hiding in a cave, and Psalm 57 is the psalm that he writes in this cave. And it's this, it's this mix of, God, there's these people, and they were chasing me, and their teeth are like, like spears, and their words are like swords, and, and they want to tear me down, and they want to rip me apart. But then he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, above all creation, at one point in the, ver in the, in the passage, he, he says, Lord, oh, awaken the dawn. Awaken the dawn. And I was reading it, and I thought, well, that sounds nice. I have no idea what that means. And so I stopped for a minute. Listen to this. I stopped. Instead of just reading over it and go, well, it must mean something cool, there was something that the Spirit prompted in me that said, find out what that means. And so I looked it up, did a little search online, used some of the tools that I have, and find out, came to find out that awaken the dawn just simply means this, Lord, open my eyes. It's got nothing to do with the sun. Awaken the dawn is all about me moving from darkness into light. God, there's these things that are bearing down, these people who want to kill me, they want to destroy me, and Lord, I'm hiding out in a cave. God, you be exalted above all of this. And awaken the dawn. Help me to see what you see. And by the end of the psalm, all he's doing is praising God and not focusing on his trouble. Sabbath and communing with God in, in, in the Sabbath and resting in that moment allows those things to come into perspective for God to encourage you. John says, I mean, Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Sabbath and time with God on the Sabbath is about learning to hear his voice. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14, I, I mentioned that this is throughout scripture. This is not a one-off kind of thing in the Bible. It's, it's found throughout the scriptures. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. You catch that? Doing as you please. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, isn't that not rich? If you will choose to stop and not just do your own thing. And can, can we just be honest? That's hard. That's hard. I mentioned that book last week that, that I saw on my parents' bookshelf when I was a kid. When I relax, I feel guilty. 
It's not even that I can't stop thinking. I feel like if I stop, that there's a level of guilt because there's a culture that says you have to do more. And so I don't even give myself permission to rest because I can't enjoy the rest. And God's saying, I want to I want to give you joy. I want to give you strength. I want you to ride in triumph. But just stop for a day and allow me to minister to you in that way. Second thing is this. After time with God, it's a time for family and for friendship. Said over and over again in this church, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. First, our relationship with God and then our relationship with those around us. It's horrendous to me that our culture has subtly put greater value on work than on family. And it's not overt, but it's there. It's there. And then God completely reverses it. In fact, in in Timothy and Titus, as, as God is addressing qualifications for leadership, one of the things he addresses is family. If, if your family is out of whack, then you're not qualified for service in leadership in the church. See, God values family and he values relationship and he values that those relationships would be healthy. In, in, in Malachi, God says, why did, why did he bring men and women together? Why did he make the two one flesh? So that they would produce godly offspring. And that there's a blessing of the Lord over family and the idea of family. And Sabbath is a time for families to be together. You know this, I know this, that we live in a world where families just go every direction under the sun. And that time with family is a rarity. We do something in our house called family dinner on Tuesday nights during the the school year for college students and young adults. By the way, if you're a college student or a young adult, we're going to be starting that up again in a couple weeks. Come join us. And one of the things we do at family dinner is we sit down at the table and eat as a family. And we'll have 24 people in our house. Well, we sit down... And last year, it struck me. We had a, a, a student from Life Pacific College who is the, the child of a pastor who, as we're sitting at the table, says to me, we hardly ever sat at the table and had dinner as a family in my house. And there is a, a, a craving, a desire, a longing for sitting down and breaking bread in our culture, especially in our young people. And it may seem like our, 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 our kids and our young adults and our teenagers want to go do that other thing. And there's a world that's kind of driving them to do that. But their heart's desire and what your family desperately needs is time around the table. Putting away our devices and eating together and talking together. We've made this a priority in our home and we're not perfect at it. By any stretch of the imagination, in fact, our kids will quite often come to us and say, Mom and Dad, we haven't had dinner together in five days. And they'll call us out, which I love. I love that. But it didn't happen by accident. We had to put an emphasis on that. We chose that in our home. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Take time as a family, as a, as a group of friends. Find people to hang out with. It was one of the things I love seeing in, in Israel was groups of people going out to lunch because they, they don't cook on Sabbath because it's work. But you can go to a buffet. Someone else who's, who's not observant will cook and, man, they will eat. And everyone comes in, the hotels that we stayed at, that they would, these families would come in and they were just dressed to the nines, just absolutely decked out the kids, and they would enjoy that meal. And then they would stay in the hotel and you would see families reclining in the lobby and taking naps and playing games and just laughing. And there was just a pace that was just so refreshing as a tour group, as we were like rushing through to get to the next thing, I'm like, I kind of want to do that for a little bit. God designed it. Remember, they didn't have written record like we do. They passed on the traditions and the stories and the word by telling them to their kids, by instilling them into their children, into their families. If you're not finding place in your home to talk about the things of God, it's not going to be a priority. It's not going to be a value. And we don't do the things we don't value. Proverbs 22, 6. Start off children in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. There have been times where my kids don't want to come and sit at the table. But we've not made it an option. Hey, we, we in our, it's the phrase in our houses, in this house, this is what we do. So when we have guests over, maybe staying or visiting for a few days, when we come to the table, what we say is, and we very rarely have anyone who's like, I don't want to do that. But it's just the, especially with little kids, now in this house, this is what we do. And so our kids get used to it, not just for now, but for their future, for your, for your family. It says in Genesis 3, verse 8, that God walked with Adam and Eve, or he walked in the garden and was there with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It's all about relationships. So time with family and time with friends is so important. It's an important part of the Sabbath, which leads me to my last point. Sabbath is a time to play. It's a time to play. Recreation. We, we need it. We, we need to relax. In fact, the word, it's, the word itself is recreation. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bone, the bones. What's the writer of Proverbs saying here? And when you're laughing, it does something. Now, God knew this because he designed us, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. And all the things that scientists are discovering, God's like, yeah, I knew it. Did that. There's actually a reason for that. That when we laugh, that it releases chemicals and endorphins in our body, that cells are regenerated, our countenance changes, and our soul is elevated. We were designed to enjoy life, to play, to have fun. But he says a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When you are burdened and weary and tired and there's no room for laughter, it just sucks the life out of you. There's no vitality. So time to play. What does that mean? You have to answer that. 
Like I said, for Megan and I right now in this season, we just go to the beach. We love being at the beach, love swimming in the ocean, right? We don't have, to, there's no, there's nothing that needs to get done. And so we've agreed on that because it's life-giving for both of us. And in our marriage, that's what we need. But I also, I love being in my garage. I love building things. I love fixing stuff. For some people, they're like, that is the very opposite of play, <laughs> right? There's literally anything else I'd be rather be doing right now. It's life-giving for me. Megan loves reading. Just leave me alone and let me read a book for a while. Board games. We love playing board games in our house. We don't do it near enough, but when we do, we have a blast. Megan and I would love, we'll go watch a movie. It's just nice to sit in a nice climate-controlled environment in a comfy seat, right? It's just, we, it's something we enjoy doing. But a time to play, whether it's mountain biking or hiking. By the way, getting out in nature is one of the greatest ways to experience the presence of God. The book of Romans tells us that when we look at what's been made, we can't deny that there is a God, right? One of the reasons I love sitting on the beach is looking at those waves coming in. And just my mind just kind of wanders off into the expanse of the Pacific Ocean, right? I try not to go below the surface because that's a little freaky. But <laughs> so we need to learn to play. We need, need to learn to play, and, and, and in healthy ways, by the way. As a culture, the enemy has perverted play, right? And he's perverted it in our lives, and it's a healthy play. It's a play that honors the Lord. And so you have to figure that out in your life. But can I just close with this? Don't neglect the Sabbath. My prayer, my homework assignment for you, even more than that, is today, would you just take a few minutes and just think about your week. Maybe you're in a good rhythm of Sabbath already. Maybe it just needs to increase. Maybe the Lord's calling you to a greater, a greater degree. But maybe it's you're that, that, that kind of that pounding music that just has no rest in it. Start praying through and asking the Lord for help and how to instill Sabbath into your rhythm, into your family, into your life. I know, I know, I know, I know that God will meet you and he will bless you. Let's stand together as we close and invite the worship team to come. So Father God, I thank you for the gift of Sabbath. Not our idea, but your idea. And a good idea at that. Lord, I thank you that you remind us that Sabbath was made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath. That it is a part of your design to bless us. But Lord, I pray that in the midst of thinking that, that we not miss also the fact that the Sabbath is holy to the Lord. That there is an exchange that takes place. And, and Lord, that it starts with us just declaring, Hosanna. Blessed is the, the Lord. Blessed is the name of the Lord. You are worthy of praise. You are greater than anything and everything that is a part of our lives. And so we honor you. So, Lord, that we would keep the Sabbath day and that we would make it holy. God, I pray that you would clear schedules. That divinely and sovereignly, Lord, that you would create space and opportunities. God, that you would remove excuses and that you would break the shackles of slavery of a culture and of an enemy that would say, if you're, if you're not doing, you have no value. 
God, that we would learn to be in your presence and enjoy you forever. We give you praise. Amen. Let's worship together.